Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, everyone. This is Erin Peterson, and welcome to the next episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I'm really pleased to have with me today Robin Erickson of the Conference Board. Robin, uh, welcome back to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. Thanks so much for having me, Erin. I'm excited to be here. It's my pleasure. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you will recall this is Robin's second appearance on the podcast. We talked about a year and a half ago when things were very different in the world, (laughs) very different indeed. Uh, We were sort of on the uptick of a global economic boom where people couldn't get enough talent. We were actually at a conference together and we sat down and talked about some uh, you know, really interesting advancements in the area of talent acquisition technology process. Uh, and so you'll, you'll note that Robin is a bit of a departure from my typical guest, that being head of talent acquisition, usually in a large global or unique organization. She's a PhD who specializes in human capital research, and that includes talent acquisition. So I really appreciate being able to have her on for her thought leadership, for her deep knowledge of the space that we all are operating in. And it just, I think, really gives us all a great foundation to be able to understand what all is out there that if you're an operator, if you're a TA leader, you, you don't have time to read all the research and understand all the best practices that are out there. So it's people like Robin who help us be better at what we do. Robin, I have a number of things I'd like for us to talk about, some really interesting things that have come out from the conference board recently, and you are behind a number of them. So about a year ago, Robin moved from Burson by Deloitte to a new role with conference board. So again, congratulations on that, Robin, to really help them make their human capital research even more robust. And based on a piece that she just published last week called HCM or Human Capital Management During COVID-19, Navigating Talent Acquisition in a Changing World. I decided it was time to have her back. So Robin, let's get going here. You have a number of recommendations, 12 in total, in this really interesting article that you've uh, written. And oh, by the way, I'll make sure that I include the link to the article in my show notes so people can get access to it. We're going to go through a number of your recommendations. And I really just want for my listeners to understand what's behind those recommendations in terms of the data, the research, the publications that you accessed in order to compile them, and then you know, more importantly, maybe some great examples of companies that are getting it right right now to pivot and uh, work differently in this age of COVID-19, especially in talent acquisition. So Robin, your first recommendation is don't rescind new hire and intern offers. So why not? Well, Erin, first of all, uh, many companies have to implement cost-cutting measures. And one of the first of those is to rescind offers. Uh, new hire offers, intern offers, graduate offers, you know, uh, offers for graduates will be joining. And uh, unfortunately, when you do that, um, you really risk your organization's reputation with those schools that you've worked so hard to create a relationship with. 
if you think about it, um, the class of 2020 that are graduating this spring, they're going to have a hard enough time, right? They won't be able to go to graduation. Um, they've worked very hard to do internships. They've Many of them have offers. It's really important to uh, not defer or can't. It's really important not to cancel those start dates. And, you know, if it's possible to only defer some of the start dates, ask the candidates, you know, would you like a little bit of extra time before you start? Some of them may have the financial means to do that, but a lot of them don't. They've been counting on having a job to start. There's going to be an awful lot of people who are affected by this, but uh, it really is important not to cancel your uh, new hire offers. And so we've, we've heard of some companies that aren't doing this. Uh, they are having to redo their intern programs to make them virtual because they expect that the interns won't be able to go into the office. Some of them are shortening their internships. Some of them are also saying that they plan to have the majority of them be virtual, but maybe have a week at the end where all the interns come together to get to meet some of the new colleagues like that in person. The I love thing- that idea because it gives them something to look forward to potentially in this uh, age of not being able to meet anybody in person. I have one more thing I loved from your article, and that was giving interns weekly goals instead of a long-term project. Is that? that, that yeah, that was where yeah. I was going. Okay. It was just simply yeah. because a lot of times interns have one project that they work on the whole summer, usually in a team. And uh, I think if they're going to be virtual, it's going to be very important to meet with them on a regular basis, at least weekly, and to give them shorter term goals that they can then feel like they're accomplishing rather than waiting until the end with one big project. I think that'll go a long way toward helping them continue to feel engaged, allowing them to either go back to campus or to graduate feeling, even if they long-term don't get hired by the company that they're interning with, they will have had a really great candidate experience, which is pretty hard to create right now. So a little leaning in makes a lot of difference, I think. In the interest of time, let's jump over to your recommendation number two, proactively communicate with candidates. Okay, I get this. I mean, if I'm a head of TA, I'm going to be thinking, oh my gosh, we cannot leave our candidates hanging. Heaven forbid they go into the black hole. What have you been seeing that top companies are doing to actually make this work? So that, that's the reason exactly. You mentioned it. It's the black hole. Getting a new job is hard enough in quote unquote normal times. Now, when everything is in flux in an organization, it's even harder. And I think that, you know, the first question on many candidates' minds are, are you freezing hiring? Because a lot of companies is one of their first cost-cutting measures. They freeze hiring across the board. Let your candidates know where they're at if hiring is being frozen for a time um, and when you'll get back to them with an update. And it's really important because right now everyone is uncertain about almost everything. So, and as you mentioned earlier, the importance of a good candidate experience, it sets the stage for an employee experience. And it's the first introduction that a candidate um, or an employee has with, to the organization. And so you need to let them know that how the organization is dealing with the crisis. And if you're empathetic to sort of their increased uncertainty now, um, you'll definitely build goodwill for your organization and you'll build a relationship of trust that will be stronger. Yeah, and I think this fits well with one of your other recommendations, which is uh, refocus on your employment brand. You can actually enhance your employment brand if you do uh, an excellent job of communicating an unprecedented time in an unprecedented way. But I'm really operational, you know, having led recruiting in the past, and all my clients are very operational. So 
what are some practical ways that they can actually utilize technology in the case where you have thousands of candidates that are in this situation and you need to somehow get a message consistently and appropriately to all of them? What, what are you seeing that, that companies are doing? So, for example, I, uh, Cigna actually created an FAQ page on their career site um, with COVID-19 resources for candidates, but also um, how they were responding to the situation. And as you guys can imagine, um, there's an awful lot of organizations who are hiring during this uh, crisis. And so it's really important for everybody to know where things are. But, you know, on your careers page, it's pretty easy to put up an FAQ page. And, you know, some organizations have been updating their FAQs daily and then weekly. So um, hopefully that'll slow down a little bit. But as you were saying, in terms of you really can focus on your employment brand, look to make sure that any of your ads or pictures are appropriate um, and that they're sensitive. Uh, you don't want to be tone deaf in the middle of a crisis. So uh, definitely think about, you know, could you build a hub with questions that you could uh, update on a regular basis? I can imagine even integrating it into your chat function uh, with special access for people who have already been through an interview or two. You can even kind of go old school and make it the responsibility of every recruiter to have their short list of people that they're, they're going to be providing kind of regular updates to via text or... And your recruiters could put a link in their signatures. Have questions about how our organization's dealing with COVID-19 and hiring, question mark? Check, you know, click here. So there's right. a lot of different ways that people could do that. Love it. The next two suggestions you give are give internal candidates a closer look and help redeploy affected employees. And those two recommendations dovetail really nicely, I think, with another recent publication that you wrote uh, regarding avoiding layoffs or, if they're necessary, compassionately handle them. So tell us more about that. Sure. So I've actually been studying the topic of layoffs uh, for 18 years, since right after 9-11 first with a master's degree and then with my PhD. It's really interesting because what a lot of companies don't know is that layoffs may help their profitability in the short term, but they don't help in the long term. And in fact, they can hurt in the long term. And so uh, the first report you mentioned was uh, finding innovative alternatives to layoffs. We have 12 suggestions for how organizations can avoid layoffs. And there's even more than that. I'm quite sure that there are other creative ways to cut costs in an organization. Um, but we do recognize that it is sometimes necessary in when a company's in survival mode that they have to lay off employees. And so there's just some really important things that they should keep in mind in terms of conducting them compassionately. Because you need to be concerned about how your layoff victims are doing, how the people who are laid off actually leave the organization, you know, for example, don't escort them out of the building. Don't tell them by a, t a text that they're laid off. Don't bring, you know, half your organization into a, a room and tell them all they're laid off together. And then, you know, then they have, they're expected to leave. I mean, there are so many horror stories about how people have been laid off. Think about, you know, providing information on unemployment in your state. That would help somebody who's being laid off not have to do the paperwork to find out how to access that. Be sure you let them know, you know, what their benefits will be and how long and whether or not they're furloughed. Are they furloughed with benefits? Are they furloughed without benefits? Is there a length of time? So just all those things, um, the more that you can do to help those layoff victims, the more goodwill they'll have toward your organization. But beyond that, you also have to think about the employees who remain because not only will they suffer from something called survivor guilt, but 
if you don't treat their colleagues and their friends well, then when they have an opportunity, these remaining employees or the survivors, they, they won't stick around. And that was some of the research that I've done that shows that, you know what, as soon as the economy turns around and it's safe, quote unquote, to look for a new job, if you don't treat the people who are being laid off well and then treat your employees who stay well, they won't stay. And I mean, just to give you an example, I have been in companies where I have seen people be told, you're lucky to have a job. Well, that might be something that they're thinking to themselves, but to say that to someone is really quite insulting. Just think about how you're treating folks. Now, when in terms of the suggestions here, first to give internal candidates a closer look. The reason why that's important is because many talent acquisition teams are not allowed to reach out to internal candidates when an open position is available. Yeah, or when a position is available. Thing I've talked to many clients about is that uh, the more progress they can make organizationally and culturally to be able to break down that barrier. Boy, that's an engagement booster. It's uh, utilizing the talent you have on board. It's quicker. It's less expensive. I mean, the, the, the benefits go on and on. So yeah, so, so tell us more about that. Well, and if there's a hiring freeze and you have a critical position that's open, guess what? You probably do have someone in your organization who already works for you who could take that role. And so one of the challenges that recruiters have is that they often don't have up-to-date information on current employees. And so they have to go to LinkedIn or other uh, sites to find people and they can find their own employees. So, you know, one way around that is to take advantage if your ATS or your HCM system has a profile feature, allow employees to put in their skills because the only data you might have on them is the ATS data from their resume when they first applied. So all of the skills and everything they've learned since they joined your organization, you, you won't have a record of. Talk about some examples of companies that are really getting this right, help, helping affected employees with other opportunities, either internal or external. So we actually wrote a report called Total Talent Mobility here at the conference board. It was one of the first reports I worked on here. And we called it Total Talent Mobility because it combined internal talent who could move around as well as global mobility, uh, people who might move geographically. We have uh, 12 different uh, strategies for how best to use total talent mobility and to think about it. There's a lot of case studies there, so I recommend you look that up. But, you know, for example, we found an example of UBS, which is a Swiss-based global bank. They created a tool specifically for their internal recruiters to be able to identify internal candidates for open roles because it, it actually matches employee profiles with open roles. It also can map out a career path and provide recommendations for learning opportunities. Because the last thing you want to do is have an employee apply for jobs within their organization and never be told why they didn't get them. So it's really important, especially if somebody already works for your organization, to circle back with them and say, hey, you weren't chosen, but here's, here are some learnings, here are some skills that you would need to be considered in the future. Yeah. And in fact, I think Workday has that functionality mm -hmm. uh, built in. I, I think it has to be turned on. So yes. it's one of those things where, you know, you, you may not know you have the capability, but if you have Workday, something yeah. that can be utilized, that's super important. And I think, you know, the more that TA leader can show up strategically coming with those suggestions, the better for them and the better for the entire organization. So I, I highly recommend that. What about organizations that are taking their affected employees and actually looking for or kind of creating pathways for them externally with partnerships with other companies? Like American Airlines did this, I think. 
Yeah, so um, we actually just wrote a blog with Ken Charles from American Airlines. American Airlines hasn't laid off any employees, but you may not be aware of this, but airline workers work on a shift basis. So they get a minimum salary and their benefits, but depending on how many shifts they work, it affects their income. And so at American Airlines, nobody's flying, right? I think air travel's down 96%, I think was the last uh, statistic I saw. Ken at American Airlines has literally started working with a number of other organizations to try to provide an expedited hiring process for American airline workers. And so these companies who agree to be a partner, there's a web, they create an, in, they create a site on their website for American Airlines employees to apply for jobs. And the beauty of it is, is that um, some of the companies don't even require an interview. They're willing to say, look, if American Airlines hired you and you have the right skills, we will trust American Airlines and we'll, we'll take you. And so within a week of posting their site, which was just done, I think about a week ago, they had over 18,000 hits and were able to place over 700 employees. And the best news for those American Airlines employees is that they don't actually lose their job in American Airlines. Wow. They can take on full or part-time positions with other organizations. They can take voluntary leaves uh, for a certain length of time. And you know, American Airlines does recognize that they could lose some really talented workers, but they're willing to do it because they really want to make sure that uh, their workers are able to survive this depression that we're going to go through. Right, right. Wow, that's super compassionate, I would say. And, you know, recognizing pe- people have to live. They have right. to, there's dignity in work and also they need to be able to feed their families. So, well, and just let me mention two other, two other companies that I really want to highlight here. Hilton, uh, Hilton Hotels has done the same thing. They have provided websites for their employees that they've had to furlough, websites for those employees to find other positions as well. Um, so that's actually been very cool. I think a number of organizations are doing it. I think a lot of consulting firms are starting you know, a, a job matching platform, one that I will just call out in particular. It's business to business. It's with powered by Accenture um, with a few other partners, but it's called people plus work. And it's literally for a CHRO to say, Hey, I need 50 drivers. And for them to be able to see what organization might have 50 drivers available. And they literally can, you know, take 50 drivers from one organization that doesn't need them right now to another organization that does need them right now. And so I think that's been the amazing thing with this crisis has been that, you know, some industries like hospitality and the airlines, they've been so, they've been hit so hard, but other businesses, the, the ones who are doing deliveries and providing food and uh, prescriptions and, and all of that. I mean, I, I think I heard that CVS was hiring 50,000 workers. Right. And so to do that quickly, where do you find all those people so quickly? So there's an awful lot of really creative solutions out there. And I take my hat off to the companies who are doing them not to make any money, basically, just to try to help people find work. Wow, it's uh, it's terrific to hear. And as an uh, Accenture alum, it really does my heart good to hear that that kind of ingenuity is being put into place. Um, let's talk about your other suggestions with regard to taking your process and kind of using. Let's see, what's the phrase? Don't waste a good crisis. So use this crisis as the opportunity to finally automate some of your recruiting processes. I know video interviewing is well used by some companies and in other companies, it just has not gotten off the ground. I wonder if in those organizations that have been resisting it, this is the time to finally implement. So, Well, and, but- and I, I think it is definitely the time to finally implement it, but I, I think the companies have had to. 
um, they, I think they've been forced to. And so uh, there's definitely, there's very simple ways to uh, connect. Um, is it FaceTime on your iPhone? Is it Skype on your computer or Microsoft Teams or Zoom? There's also some other platforms that offer video interviewing, and they offer the ability for employees to actually interview pieces of their interviews. And so that all, all of the candidates could actually have the same question. Um, so that exists and is out there. We actually just wrote a report at the conference board in January on artificial intelligence for talent acquisition. And as your listeners know, Aaron, talent acquisition is incredibly complex. I think it's the most complex part of HR with the most moving pieces, the highest number of technology platforms that are required, and yep. the highest number of stakeholders, because you've got all your hiring managers, you've got all of your candidates, and you've got all of your leadership as well, plus all the vendors that you're trying to manage. And so yep. it's so complicated. And AI can help. You know, the challenge with AI is that it's a little bit scary because it's it's new and a lot of our inboxes are flooded with uh, information from vendors. Um, and so trying to sort out what is the best is hard. But um, definitely, I think this requirement to have as many people work from home as possible, it's making organizations move to virtual interviewing, which they can do because you can see someone's face and uh, see their expressions. Um, and then having to think about virtual onboarding because yeah. a lot of organizations are having new hires start and they're not able to go into an office and do an in-person onboarding. And there's a whole bunch of things you need to think about before they start on their first day, because how awful, we talked about the black hole of resumes, but how awful would it be to start a new job and not have a computer, not know who to talk to, not have had conversations, post your interviews with your hiring manager. So it's an awful lot of things to think about, but I do think that uh, firms are going to rise to the occasion. I agree. And in particular, the three technologies for video interviewing that you mentioned in your article are three that are my favorites. I've actually implemented all of them. Hire View, Montage, which I think is now called Modern Hire, if I'm not mistaken, and then um, Spark Hire. And uh, they're great. I mean, easy to use. Candidates love them. I think the days of hiring managers being worried that it's going to create a bad candidate experience are gone. They just need to give it up because uh, the candidates that you want to hire are technologically capable people. And not only that, but they're stuck at home too. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. So no more excuses. All right, love it. Actually, let's stick with that topic for just a second with regard to one of your other recommendations, and that is to provide the virtual interviewing resources to candidates. So help them be better at the whole interview process. In particular, you call out Microsoft, who has created a virtual interview resource page for candidates. Now, that doesn't surprise me. I think a lot of companies are getting to the point where they're helping candidates actually with more than just video interviewing, with the entire process and being very transparent about what candidates can expect. So why in particular did you call out Microsoft's space? Because as we were talking about, uh, virtual interviewing is new for a lot of organizations and the, the techniques of interviewing by video are different, especially if you're posting a recording to an answer. We wanted just to talk about what Microsoft was doing because, you know, they have a virtual interview page, which basically says, here are the steps that you should follow beforehand. Make sure that your system works, that your computer lines up. I mean, how many of you have been tried to dial in and it took 15 minutes to get all the parties dialed in. You don't want to have that happen on an interview. Remember, interviewing is, is a challenge. It's very hard. It's one of the more difficult things in life to do. But, you know, especially for soon-to-be college graduates and inexperienced workers who 
may not have had a lot of experience interviewing, now to have a new platform put in front of them. But remember, at the same time, as you were saying, Erin, most of these people are comfortable with technology and they're doing video chats with their friends all the time. And so some parts of that won't be difficult for them. But, you know, even Harvard Business School has written a report called Nine Tips for Mastering Your Next Virtual Interview. So it's not just, you know, there's plenty of things out there as a candidate. If you're if your organization doesn't give you information, you can find it. But how much nicer would it be to get a note from a recruiter that said, you know, here's the platform we're using. Here's how you can test your system. Here are some tips for having a good interview, you know, positioning your computer or, you know, don't put it next to a window, right? You know, yeah. it'll look like an angel then. <laughs> but right. there's, there's, right. all sorts of, uh, there's all sorts of suggestions. And a tip I gave to some uh, young women with generation on a webinar last week was look directly into the little dot on your laptop. Believe it or not, it's the camera that's looking at you and you can sort of appear more like you have eye contact when you're doing that, which it's not something that you would really think of unless somebody told you. I think. And, and Googling the answer to a question is not cool, especially on a video interview. Right. I've had that happen to me before. So Have you now? Okay. I have. Well, then there you go. So <laughs> it, there's accountability that comes with it too. Thank goodness. I love it. Let's talk about pivoting your recruiter resources. So this is an interesting one. Having been through several booms and busts myself and having had to figure out what to do with recruiter resources when they're not being busied with recruiting, what, what have you seen top companies doing with their recruiters? So uh, the best thing you can do with your recruiters is not to lay them all off, okay? First of all, they know more about your company than almost anybody else because they're trying to sell your company to employees and they have skills that you can use in other parts of the organization. So we get that you may not be doing as much hiring, you may have a hiring freeze. Like I said, some, so many times companies just lay off as a gut reaction almost, but you can actually redeploy them. You can help them get skills so that they can do other positions. First of all, your recruiters know a ton about getting a job. They would be perfect outplacement specialists. And you mentioned that you used to work at Accenture, Aaron. I used to work at Deloitte and that's what Deloitte did in 2008. They turned their recruiters into outplacement specialists. And so they helped with resumes and interviewing skills. And so that's a great thing that your recruiters can do. And it's a great benefit for the people that you're going to be forced to lay off. Second, you can also move them into other departments that now are priorities. You know, they have great marketing skills. They have great phone skills, you know, and there's a really good chance that they could have, they have other skills that you don't even realize. Um, they have great research skills, believe it or not, because they're trying to find people to fill specific roles. And so there's just a ton of ways you could use your recruiters. So I highly recommend that if you want to be able to bounce back when the economy reverses and starts to go back up, you don't want to have to rehire recruiters. So, so redeploy them in the meantime. And I'll add to your list, which is a great list, um, PMO. So I think a lot of people don't realize that basically recruiting is a project. Correct. A project writ large, but a, but a project to be managed. And so great recruiters have great project management experience. So I, I think um, redeployment makes so much sense. If, if financially the organization can sustain it, I, I completely agree. They, they need to um, use those good skills. Robin, it is always such a pleasure to hear what you're working on. And thank you for the work that you do and making us all better at what we do. Being at the conference board, interestingly, though, I, I'm anticipating that I might have some listeners that are wondering more about 
the conference board, especially the Talent Acquisition Council? Where should they go for more information about all of that? Thank you for asking. Um, We actually have two talent acquisition councils and a separate council for onboarding. So um, these are groups of leaders who come together and uh, they usually come together three times a year in person and multiple times during the year virtually. I think uh, now it's going to be multiple times during the year virtually for a while yet. We would love to have you reach out to us. And the best way to do that would be to look, to go to send an email to membership at conference-board.org. The other thing I just want to mention, since you've opened up this this opportunity, is that we have a COVID-19 hub at the conference board with a lot of information. We have economists here. We have our Human Capital Center. And on that COVID-19 hub at the conference board, we actually have a special page with content that we've curated for human capital leaders on many different topics. Because we have a really small but mighty research team, but we wanted to get information out there And so all of our COVID-19 research is available to the public. You can find information on many different topics within human capital as well. And I can testify to that it is very robust. I've been out there searching for various things. So thank you for being a part of compiling all of that. And may we all stay healthy and able to kind of get past this thing in not too long. And as you and I have discussed before, we'll all have hopefully some very good stories about character building and coming closer to the people that we love and doing the right thing, especially in the workplace. Especially. I mean, I love the stories that I hear about chefs who've closed their restaurants and are feeding first responders and the companies that are bending over backwards, like the ones working uh, to create people plus work or, you know, just the companies who are providing retail space or hotel space to first responders. And I think it's all about what we can do for each other and how we're going to all get through this together. So thanks again for having me, Erin. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.